Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Joel Prusky, BMO's OIS and cross-currency trader, to discuss the upcoming Bank of Canada policy decision, his views on the rates market, and his favorite trade ideas. This week's episode is titled, Taming the Bear. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.writesis at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Hi, Joel. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. You were last here in, uh, I think it was February, and uh, I've, I've, I've been away for a number of weeks. I, a couple of vacations and some COVID uh, put a bit of a, a wrench in my plans on, on uh, publication dates, so here we are. Uh, about a month since the last podcast, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to having you back on. Almost as much as I look forward to being back here, Ben. It's funny, Joel actually begged me a few weeks ago to put him on the podcast uh, when when there really wasn't much time because I was just back from COVID or just going on vacation or doing something along those lines, and uh, he he just wanted to gloat about how high rates had gotten. But now here we are, what three two two or three weeks later, and tenure yields are back below three percent. Uh, not not a little bit either. And the macro backdrop has changed or appears to be changing materially. The flow of data has kind of been one way and, and not not on the good side. Uh, we'll see how this this evolves over the next uh, days and weeks. But why don't we start with the Bank of Canada? Their, their meeting is on deck next week. Uh, I think it's pretty straightforward. But uh, Joel, what are, what are your thoughts here as we uh, look ahead to next week? Well, first of all, Ben, I'd like to thank you for getting your priorities in order and putting your vacation time ahead of having me as a guest on your show, not only to, not to gloat, but just to mic drop, because I think I was, the first time I was on your pod, we talked about how rates were foolishly and ridiculously low, and then they were, lo and behold, 200 plus basis points higher. And uh, I was happy to say, well, maybe now they're getting close to where they should be at the time being. But let's put that aside. You are on record. So we do have those podcasts. You can go back and look at one of, one of the first, I think, podcasts we had. And, and so it, it is, he, he is telling the truth, folks. I, I'd like to keep our audience engaged in this one before we get them to listen to something else in the, that's a year and a half old. But I, I, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, but sure, let's talk about the now. Um, I think uh, Bank Canada is next week. Uh, the market is uh, fully prepped and priced for 50. Uh, actually, it's trading at 51 basis points. Um, and the argument there being, well, why wouldn't you pay one extra basis point for the chance of maybe an outsized hike of 75? However unlikely that is, you know, as a betting person risking one to make 24 or in theory 49, I guess, possibly, although highly unlikely, makes some sense. So I get that. Um, you know, the Fed minutes were today, they teed up that there's 50 for the next couple of meetings. So lo and behold, you know, I don't think it's... Uh, a surprise that the, the next meeting and the meeting after that are close to pricing in 50 from the bank. Uh, growth has been strong. Inflation is quite high. 
uh, our uh, fearless leader uh, at the Bank of Canada tells us that they're very serious and they take inflation seriously and they're going to do whatever it takes and the same old stuff that we hear and and as they should. I mean, zero rates are an abomination and a crime against finance, and they finally realize that. So I think the next two hikes are pretty much a given, gets us to the lower of the bank's neutral range, 2 to 3%. After that, I doubt that there's a pause there. I think they probably slow the pace down a bit, and I do think that their intent is to get to at least 25 uh, and then wait and see what happens. Now, before we talk about neutral, because I think that's the real question right now, what, what do you think the odds of them going 75 or 100? Do you think they should go 75 or 100? Um, I think the odds of going 100 are nil. I think the odds of going to 75 exist. I mean, uh, mathematically, they exist because I can tell you that's how the OS is pricing. Uh, um, look, they they owe us at least 25 from January that they didn't go and uh, screwed me in the process. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, 100 should be on the table because of what they didn't do in January. Uh, look, they're behind the curve. They are. But, you know, going 75 probably doesn't do much except because how do you message it? If you go 75, it's hard to message, oh, we went 75, but now we're going to downshift to 50 again. You know, the, the, the benefit of going 75 probably doesn't do a lot. I think the, the messages will get out there at 50. Well, I think that's I think that's the point. And they, they've signaled that 75 is they're not keen to go 75, I guess would be the way I put it. And without the clear message from them that that's something they want to do, I would. I think the odds are as close to zero as you're going to get without actually being zero. Uh, I guess that's where that one basis point comes from. That's really uh, it. And the one, the one thing I will say about the bank is, is even including January, and, and uh, that's almost my takeaway from January, is that the communication from them is, is very clear. Like, they mean exactly what they say. Just take them exactly at their word. If they don't say otherwise, don't think otherwise. That is what it is. And so 50s... Well, there'll be a 50 again next week, probably one after that again in July. And then we get to the kind of the gray area. So you talked about the neutral range of 2 to 3%. Uh, the Fed's neutral range is also 2 to 3%. And so the question that I think will uh, capture the market, at least the front end of the market, is is when they say they want to get to neutral, what? where is it in that range? Is it 2? Is it 2 and a quarter? Is it midway? Is it 250? Or do they want to be on the restrictive side of close to 3%? Because guess what? Inflation in the U.S. is printing at, what, north of 8%. Canada will be north of 7% next month. Uh, numbers we have not seen since the early 80s. Uh, maybe they should be on the more restrictive side of neutral. I don't know. Where do you think they decide to stop? Why don't I put it that? Where do you think they decide to pause? Uh, why don't we go there first? And now if you want, you can also talk about where they what, at what point they slow down. We're going to know because they're going to make, I believe it, abundantly clear to us when it's time to downshift from 50s to 25s. Um, this is a central bank that's pretty good on the communication side. So I think we will know when it's time. Uh, the beef I've had for a long time is the, the market's perception that we're in a stop and reverse mode, that, that you know the central banks are going to tighten to two and a half and then all of a sudden have to turn tail and go the other way. Well, and didn't, didn't Bullard just say, I mean, he came out and he said, We'll get rates up real quick, and then that'll give us put us in a good position to cut rates in 2023 or 2024. And, and those are the people who own the cloudiest crystal ball. These are a collection of knuckleheads who haven't seen a crisis coming in the 35, yes, 
folks, 35 years I've been doing this job. They have never seen a crisis coming. They are reactive, not proactive. So taking them at their word about what may happen in 2023 or 2024 is kind of meaningless, okay? Um, you know, I, I, I do think, look, there's obviously a lot of leverage in the system, that much more so, way more debt than there was before. So the effect of higher rates uh, will slow the economy quicker. But let's not forget one thing. This is a feature, not a bug. Equity market weakness is the intent, the stated intent of the Federal Reserve and uh, likely the Bank of Canada, although they've probably never said it in those words. So if they were to get spooked because uh, overpriced equities have become less overpriced and keep rates at the lower end of 2% while inflation's raging at 8%, I would be more fearful of where 10 and 30 year rates would be in that case, because uh, that would show not a commitment to uh, stopping inflation. And we have a lot more problems if 10-year and 30-year rates moved up another 100 basis points, I think. So that being said, I think two and a half is an okay number. To answer your question, two and a half seems like a reasonable number. Maybe we get 50-50 and then 25-25. And then we wait and see what the data is. Monetary policy works with a lag. We know this. We know there's uh, things that are going on globally that the Fed and the Bank of Canada can't do anything about. You can't print wheat, you can't print oil. I mean, you got all these things. Um, Canada will have good terms of trade. And, and, and as, as I've written before, I think you know the, the 2020s is gonna be great for Canada economically. I do believe that. We may have to get through a bit of a housing correction first, but you know we have all the stuff in the world that people want. And we have a, a government that's you know, not nearly as bad as Russia's. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that, uh, the first part. Government side, no, kidding. Uh, <laughs> our government's wonderful. Um, what, why, why can't the bank go 50-50-50 stop, or the, the Fed either? I mean, why, what, what, why do, do they need to downshift to 25s? Because this, this is a conversation I've had with others as well who think that, like, you can't go from 50 to stop. But if, if they've said, and then both central banks have said, like, we want to get to neutral as soon as possible. Why do you need to slow down? You get there and then you stop because they've kind of said, I mean, Macklem even came out and said, you get to neutral and you, you pause. I mean, he, those are his words, pretty much. Sure. Um, so why, why is there anything keeping them from doing that? No. I mean, look, remember, so we're now talking about what the bank may or may not do in September. Yes. It's not even June yet. And we, that gives us three months of data, three months of crises or not crises going on in the world. So, I mean, 50-50-50 is okay. I could buy into that. I could buy into 50-50-25-25. I could buy into 50-50. Oh, crap. Things aren't going down. We really got a problem here. And we better talk it up so it's 50-50-50-50. I mean, but let's get through the next three months before we can talk about what's going on in September. That's fair. I think the next, the next two meetings, though, are... All but set in stone. I mean, something really bad has to happen for them to back off at all, uh, just to not not even get to two percent at this point. Although, I mean, the, the the macro side of things is the the activity side of things is not looking great. Again, feature, not a bug. I, well, I mean that they kind of need demand to slow down, uh, but how much? And and then you start. I mean, we're not, I don't think today's the day for this, but you've had chatter already about about a potential recession, and I like that's probably not happening this year. Uh, maybe next year we'll see what, what the data do. And you talked about debt and the, the greater impact of, uh, of rates given elevated debt levels and in Canada more so than, than in the US. And you can already see it in our housing market. Uh, things have come off uh, very quickly and, and will probably continue to do so. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be, be shocked if home prices don't fall uh, double digits in, in relatively short order. 
Uh, we are getting getting them back to trend is is uh, is, is something like twenty plus percent decline in, in home prices. Uh, every every pocket of the country is a little bit different, but uh, it it it's probably going to be a challenging period, and and rates still. I mean, we we haven't peaked on the overnight, so variable rates still going higher for sure. Uh, but fixed rates maybe higher, maybe not. On that, I'm I'm not sold. Um, why don't we? Kind of touch on a related topic then. So if if you see a few more hikes from the, from the bank from the Fed, uh, the market has that fully priced. How do you view duration right now? Uh, when rates were at one percent or lower, ten year rates were one percent or lower. You're a seller all the way. I get that. I was too. Yes, north of three percent, you were much more much more neutral. We're back at kind of two seventy five ish in U.S. tens, more or less the same in Canada. Where do you stand now? I mean, you know, we've gone from Tina to Tia, because at least now, you know, if you want to take a longer term view, maybe you want to buy some bonds to help hedge your portfolio when, you know, at 1%, that wasn't a hedge against anything. Can you expand on the acronyms? Uh, for the Tina, there is no alternative. Okay. Uh, Tia, there is an alternative. But I think you have to really see what happens with inflation, if you want to start talking about where I think value in bonds lies, if inflation goes from eight to six next year and then down to four the year after, and that's our new level, then, you know, it's hard to get excited about, you know, negative real yields out there, right? And and that we may, we may reset higher, you know, we just, I, I like to think of the last 15 years as an abnormal period in history of interest rates of the world, not what is going to be the future. So again, like, you know, I don't, listen, my crystal ball is not any better than the Fed, so I'm not gonna go out too much on a limb here, but I think when we were above 3%, we were resetting to a more reasonable level of rates. Um, but we have to see, I think you have to see where um, inflation settles into and, you know, where overnight settles into before you make that call. I mean, um, the one thing I'll say is, you know, we, we've had since 08, all this QT, and balance sheet explosion, like we don't really know the true price of money. Um, you know, all I read every day is how treasury liquidity is terrible. I mean, we, we've experienced that in Canada for years, but of course it's terrible. The Fed's been buying too many bonds for too long, and we we forgot how to how to find the clearing price for risk. We, we don't know it, and. We complain about it now because we've been dumbed down by 10 or 15 years of it. And I don't know what the clearing price of risk is because, you know, we've not really had a long enough period where we've had to actually absorb the real amount of debt. So time will tell. I mean, maybe it is four and a half, five percent. So that's the solution then to the the liquidity issues is just kind of one, don't go back to zero. Two, central banks get out. And three, just time to get people to learn how to reprice and where the where the real demand is fair i mean yeah i think so i mean we, look we all know why we got here we 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 never wanted anyone to feel any pain every time there was a crisis so the response was let's cut rates to zero let's qt let's try to uh, minimize the business cycle and hey there was no inflation other than asset inflation so it's great news except at some point either the I don't know. I mean, either the asset inflation spilled over into the real economy or the fiscal policy, which was probably should have been done in the first place, more targeted, maybe caused it, whatever it was, it's here now and we have to deal with it. And I do think 
uh, macro wise, you know, onshoring, friendshoring, all these things, generally speaking, are going to be inflationary. They're going to push the prices of stuff up. And if that's the world we live in, and that is more like the world we came from, except the last 15 or so years, then we're going to have a higher level of rates in general, whether it's, you know, front end rates, real real rates, nominal rates, whatever you want to call them. Most, most people in the market have grown up in the past kind of 15 years. And like, they know the financial crisis. They know the pandemic. They know everything in between, which I agree is not normal. I mean, you have two generational crises, even more like longer time span even than that, uh, back to back pretty much. And like that stuff isn't supposed to happen very often, especially not twice in 10 years, Ten years yeah. to get zeros and zero rates and, and massive QE. Um, so I mean, hopefully the reaction functions of central banks do not do not stay the same. They don't go back to zero and do more QE uh, when, when the eventual recession comes. I guess we'll see on that. But uh, I, I think think you're right on duration in that we we need to know like if the fed gets to 2% and then the economy buckles severely then clearly rates can't get all that high probably at the end of the day alternatively maybe they get to north of 3% because they have no choice but to 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 kill inflation that's the only way they can get it and and the economy they don't care as much we'll we'll have to see or maybe inflation settles at 4% and and then who who wants two percent negative two percent or negative one percent on 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 real return basis for ten years? Not not me, that's for sure. Uh, so I think we have a lot of information to go before you can really say that at three percent, ten years are a bargain or or not. Agree. I mean, right now politically, it seems that the concern is inflation. If we do go into a recession, and which is, again, maybe the only way to slay the inflation dragon. Politically, that may change what's what's a priority, right? But at the moment, all you hear politically is we have to get inflation down. And we there's a couple tools to do it. You could tax the hell out of everybody, but that doesn't seem to be super popular. Or you let the Fed do its job with the only tool it has, which is... They're, hammer. They tax the hell out of us here. So, I mean, there's <laughs> plenty of inflation still in Canada. Um, yeah, that's that. that we'll, we, we will see on how weak the economy is to get uh, to slow inflation. What would really be helpful, and, and, and I think the one thing that uh, would, would really help out central bankers if energy prices would come down. That's like the magic bullet to everything almost. If you could get oil sub 100, get natural gas kind of six to seven dollars, that pulls inflation down, that puts money back in people's pockets. Uh, that would that would kind of sow the seeds of a soft landing, I think, and, and uh, maybe keep them from having to push rates too too much higher or, or too far above neutral. Uh, but well, I mean, that, that doesn't seem likely at this point, unfortunately, and food prices as well. Only a crushing recession is going to help that, I think. I mean, there's been, you know, they've not put enough money into productivity in the oil business for a long time. And I think those we, you know, we're paying the price now and no one's going to put it in now because you're not getting a lot of government support for that, right? Or political support or anything. But I hope you're right. But I have a feeling that, you know, we've been holding this beach ball underwater for such a long time now. And, you know, someone's arm's getting tired. Like, oh, I think I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm just hopeful. And and like if, if China's shutting down or half the country more or less shutting down for lengthy periods of time doesn't pull energy prices down, I'm don't, not entirely sure what will. Like the second half of this year, probably later in the second half, we'll probably see big stimulus out of China. Like they're going to have they're not going to have choice uh, if they want to maintain their their political social stability. Like they have no option there. And that's going to mean demand for everything, all commodities. 
Like it always some, does. But they're they're also going to want to gang go gangbusters on the production side. So that should have some deflationary impact on goods, right? Assuming that we but raw materials will go up a lot. Right. So right. as energy prices yeah. are 110 now, what if China demand rises five percent tomorrow? Sure. Or and metals and I mean you name it, it it's going to be a challenge I think to, uh, to to keep inflation relatively contained and that might mean higher terminal rates at the end of the day from uh, from from Western central banks from the Fed from the bank from the ECB from the Bank of England you name it uh, higher rates generally. All right, let's leave that conversation there uh, and and let's since uh, we're about twenty minutes in coming up on time here let's let's get to your favorite trade ideas. Sure, uh, um, you know unfortunately. Most of the trade ideas have kind of played themselves out with this uh, repricing over the last month. Uh, we, you know, we did like uh, tens on the five tens thirty Canada curve, which moved in from thirty one to kind of sixteen, although still quite cheap versus the U.S. I just think, given you know the illiquidity, you might have to sit with that trade for quite a while, and maybe fours, nines, twenty nines by the time you actually get out of it. Um, you know, uh, in the OIS space. December meeting at 3% was always a beacon for us. Uh, the idea was to receive it there, kind of get flat at around 275, which is roughly where we are now. And then if we get down to 250, maybe, you know, set up a short. Um, again, all, all these things have come to fruition. The only trade that I really like left is in the cross-currency space. I'm not sure how many uh, of your readers follow that stuff, but things like um, three-year, two-year, five-year, two-year is uh, inverted by kind of five basis points. Uh, three-year, one-year, five-year, one-year also inverted. These are cross-currency basis swaps inverted by uh, all the same about five basis points. That's on a very steep, positively sloped curve. Um, you know, it has to do with a general lack of risk taking out there and, and dealers who, you know, don't know how uh, to move risk and uh, wind up with bucket risks they want to get out of. So anyone want to further talk further about that offline, uh, by all means, call me. I don't want to bore your listeners if they've made it this far in the podcast anymore than they already are. Uh, I, I would strongly encourage anybody uh, interested in, in, in cross-currency to, uh, to, to speak to Joel. Um, he, is, he is the expert in the field, been doing it for, for quite some time. So we do have the June 1st uh, Canadian coupon payment. Uh, historically, that's been really good uh, for some Canadian outperformance as well as some curve flattening. Obviously, macro factors are going to affect that some years more than others. Uh, this year, the biggest macro factor being the fact that the Bank of Canada meeting is on the coupon date of June 1st. Um, so traditionally, I think dealers would uh, want to inventory Canada versus US trades as we're coming into, let's say, the last two weeks of the month. Uh, and then use the flow to get out of it. I think the problem is there's only so much of that you want to strap on ahead of the bank just in case a surprise comes. But I do think if we get the ham on rye, uh, 50 beeps with uh, teeing up another 50 at the next time, that you know the market will have some sigh of relief to some extent. And um, you know Canada will then very quickly outperform for a while. Last question, market related. Risk, risk tone, risk assets. Nasdaq's well and well into to, to bear market territory. Uh, S and P touched it. TSX has done better because of its materials and energy weighting. Credit spreads have widened out a fair amount, and, and Provi spreads in particular have, have come off and seen levels we haven't seen in some time. Do you think we've bottomed there? I think there are a lot of very 
inexpensive investment worthy companies. I don't think just because some overpriced piece of tech crap went off 70% when it was overpriced before it went up 70, you know, whatever. So, and uh, honestly, I'm not a real specialist in that stuff. I, I mean, I, I think- uh, Just your opinion. I think, put it this way, I would rather sell the rip than buy the dip at the moment. I think there's way too many unknowns out there. And, you know, we're something we're not used to is we could go through a two year period where stocks basically flatline. You know, I know it'll put CNBC out of business. What will they, God, what will they talk about without? Don't worry, they'll find something. But, but, you know, we, we could get that. And, you know, a lot of money that you'll be putting to work is dead money. And I do think we're going into a stock picker's world. I think that's changing. So, uh, you know, I don't know enough about the individual stocks. That's why. I look for people smarter than me to, you know, tell me what I should buy or not buy. Me too, and I, I totally agree on that. That uh, it's, it's going to be a more challenging market. There's, when there is liquidity not being pumped into the market, uh, it should make for a more challenging environment, I suspect, and not just a straight slope higher that we've seen for I don't know most of the past fifteen years. Uh, why don't we leave it at that, Joel? Thanks for coming on again. Always appreciated. Always, always entertaining. Always a pleasure, Ben. Um, We'll talk to everybody again in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.